All right. Well, guys, it is week three of our Prayers of the Saints series, and I'm really excited this morning to be able to come up uh, from downstairs where we normally are with the kids and just really bring an awesome message today. The first two weeks of this series have just been amazing. Craig did an awesome job uh, with the first week with Polycarp and the second week with Chris Awesome. I can never even say that name right, but you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I really like this series because it lets us see how people throughout history have really taken the message and assimilated it into their lives and made it part of their being. And today I'm really excited to be talking to you about St. Isaac of Nineveh. And we're talking about the merciful heart. Uh, so I know that's a really long one. I promise we'll get through it here in a second. But just some quick background on Isaac. So Isaac of Nineveh is also remembered as St. Isaac the Syrian because he was a uh, 7th century bishop of the Church of the East Syriac. That's not anything that's really important to this, but I thought it was fun. So he's a theologian best remembered for his written works on Christian asceticism. And I want to just stop and... Before you guys pack up and leave, I'm not going to teach you how to become a monk today. It's okay. I mean, we can. But what really just drew me to St. Isaac's work is that he likes to go on these amazingly long tangents and go down these rabbit holes of how in awe he is at the sheer enormity of God's love. He'll, he'll describe it and he'll say, no, that's not good enough. I need to write six more paragraphs about how I can't comprehend this. I like that kind of writing. It's really fun to me. It really expresses how much love St. Isaac felt from God. And that's something that I really want to talk today about. Today we're going to be going over one of his most famous prayers or writings. It doesn't read like a prayer, but hey, it's in like 7th century Syrian, so I'm sorry. Uh, it's called The Merciful Heart. I'm just going to read it very quickly. What is a merciful heart? It is a heart on fire for the whole of creation for humanity, for the birds, for the animals, for demons, and for all that exists. By the recollection of them, the eyes of a merciful person pour forth tears in abundance. By the strong and vehement mercy that grips such a person's heart, and by such great compassion, the heart is humbled and one cannot bear to hear or see any injury or slight sorrow in any in creation. For this reason, such a person offers up tearful prayer continually even for irrational beasts, for the enemies of the truth, and for those who harm her or him, that they be protected and receive mercy because of the great compassion that burns without measure in a heart that is the likeness of God. Awesome, right? That's what I mean when I say he really just goes into it. It just feels powerful. So we're talking today about a merciful heart, and I just want to start off today just by saying what a merciful heart is. A merciful heart is the heart of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. If you're new here to Element, that's a thing that we like to make as our goal. The entire point of Element Church is to make more people fully devoted followers of Jesus, that he's in control of our time, our talents, and our treasures, that everything we do is to make ourselves more like him. So I know a lot of times people like to ask, what do we mean by heart? You know, I know it's a muscle in my vest and it pumps things. And we sort of throw that around without thinking about what it really means. And I want to really dig into that today. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel is actually 
about to anoint David as the first king of Israel. But before that, he has to go through all of Jesse's other sons. And he likes what he sees. Some big, strong guys and some guys who look pretty beautiful. There's some guys who look really smart. And he says to God every time, what about this one? What about this one? And God keeps saying no. And finally, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, if you could put it on the screen, Chris. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's something, a verse that a lot of people are familiar with, but even then, we don't know. What do, what do we mean by heart? And I want to really drill down on this word. We're talking about thousands of years old of Hebrew. And the word that's used for heart here is a Hebrew word that's called levav. And I've sort of just thrown it up on here so you guys can see. It really means the inner man, the mind, the will, the heart, the soul, the understanding in the midst of things. And you have to understand that in, in Samuel's time, when they're talking about the heart and they use the word levav, they're talking about this whole area right here, the middle of things. In that time, the seat of emotions or the seat of understanding or consciousness was in what they thought was the middle. When they use the word heart, they're talking about this entire section of the body. And if you want to be funny and you go a little bit further back, it would have been the bowels. Ruins a lot of good love songs, right? But uh, what it means is the middle, the core of your being. It's not just your heart. It's your conscience, your soul, your understanding. All of those things. In fact, it's, it's thought that that's where the, the term gut feeling comes from because this was the center of your consciousness, the very center of your being. And I like that word. And when we say that David was a man after God's own heart, it's the same word. David was a man after God's own levav. His being, his soul, his consciousness, what he desired to be was in God's likeness. And when we want to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, that is what we want. We want our entire being, our core, to be like God. So that's what a merciful heart is. But what are the defining features of it? Well, I've got three things for you today. The first is that a merciful heart is compassionate. I know that that seems sort of silly. Mercy is compassion, right? You think, why would we want to talk about that? But it's so important to the idea. A merciful heart is compassionate. You see, mercy is the exact opposite of justice. I know as Americans, we're very much on the idea of justice, about seeing things get what they deserve, right? Justice is deserved punishment for something that you've done, or it's a deserved anything something that you've done, whether it's good or bad. It's justice. But mercy is compassion despite circumstances. If you want to look at it as an alignment chart, instead of lawful good, it would be chaotic good. Sorry, that, I put a joke for Eric in every one of my sermons. That's all that was. So Jesus actually directly addresses this in Matthew chapter 9. See, he's just been with a bunch of people, and some Pharisees come up to him, and they start saying, why do you spend time with sinners? Why do you do this? These people need judgment. They are deserving of justice. 
They're the worst. And Jesus turns to them, he says in Matthew chapter 9, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, I know that's hard for us, so I've put the actual Old Testament reference here. But to the people Jesus was speaking to, they would have instantly understood that he was quoting the prophet Hosea at a point in Israel's history when they were turning away from God again and again. And he finally tells them, I don't want to do this. You're making me do this. I never want sacrifice. I want mercy. I want to give you mercy. For the people listening to Jesus, they would have known as soon as he said this, that when he said sacrifice, he's talking about justice under the law. Because in the Old Testament, sacrifice took the place of the person who had sinned, the person who was deserving of punishment. We know that the wages of sin is death. Paul tells us that. Because the sacrifice takes the place, we can still say that justice is served but sacrifice, God says, it's never my desire. It's just the price that has to be paid. But I don't want this. I want to give mercy. God's master plan has always been redemption through the death of Jesus and his resurrection, through his love and his mercy. When we least deserve it, grace is given to us. And a merciful heart rejoices that since we were shown that compassion, that we can show that same compassion to others, even if they're deserving of, of judgment or punishment. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If our attitude and our mindset and our likeness is to be a merciful heart like God, we have to lift those people up not judge them and push them back down. We talk a lot of times about how we want to see with God's eyes, how we want to be broken with his love for each and every person that we see. And we talk a lot here about how every man, woman, and child is made in the image of God. They're sacred. That we want to see God in everyone around us, but we have to be compassionate towards them. Our second point today is that a merciful heart is humble. I'm just going to jump right into this verse. It's a long one, but a lot of you are familiar with it. It's Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It's Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. I don't have a specific slide for this, but the word humble here is, is a Greek word, and it's tapenos. And it means to be made low or lesser. And when we see this word used in Scripture, it really means 
not only making less of yourself and putting others first, but it's also getting rid of yourself. Stop stopping the self-reliance that we all want and becoming God-reliant. That we get rid of our own will and let it become here, uh, his. All right, I want to make things really awkward real quick. Who wants to be humbled? Who would like to be humbled? I'll, I'm going to do it to every. I, no, no one wants it, right? All right, well, I'm going to do it to everybody. You're not going to like it. Everybody turn to your left and look at the person to the left of you. Everybody look at the, just look at the people around you. Because I realize that some of you are never going to make eye contact. All right, I'm going to tell you the most humbling thing I've ever heard in my life. A hundred years from now, everybody in this room will be dead. All right, except for Craig. He's going to be cryogenically frozen. A friend of <laughs> All right, Walt Disney. All right. So a, a good friend of mine told me that once, and it really, uh, really made me think about that. It's very humbling. I feel less for knowing that almost. I feel less important. I feel like I'm a very small speck. Uh, it, it'd be like that sometimes. Thank you, Mark. All right. So it's a very humbling experience. No one likes to be humbled. But when we come up and brush against the sheer enormity of God's love, like Isaac talks about, it's even more humbling how much we lack in comparison to him. But it's something that we have to do. We have to become less, like John the Baptist said, I have to become less so that he would become more. In, his, in our weakness, he is strong. That's humbling yourself. Admitting that we cannot do it on our own like Eric was just praying about. When we humble ourselves, we remove our own ego and our own desires from the picture. And we say, not my will, but yours. When we humble ourselves, we want to serve others more than ever before because we see how much worth they have to him. Being humble doesn't mean necessarily just being less, but it means understanding that when you are less, someone, something else is more. When we humble ourselves, we can see the value that we normally ignore in others. I'm a selfish person. I can readily admit it. Sometimes Alicia asks me to do things, and I'd rather just play video games. That's something that I need to make myself less of and humble myself and say, your needs are more important than mine. And finally, a merciful heart is unwavering. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks a lot about love for others. But there's a specific portion I want to read to you. In Matthew 5, 44 through 47, he says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? It's funny. I, I saw a picture. Someone sent it to me. 
and it's of Jesus talking to a crowd, and Jesus says, love everyone. And someone raises their hand and says, what if they're my enemies, or they're different, or I hate them? And Jesus says, yes, even if they ask stupid questions. Like St. Isaac said, for this reason, he offers up tearful prayer continually for the enemies of the truth and for those who harm him, that they may be protected and receive mercy. What? Right? For the enemies of the truth, for those who harm him, that they may be protected and receive mercy? That's not how I want things to work. If someone is nasty to me, I want them to have a terrible day. You ruin my day, I want to ruin yours. But that's the point. That's the unwavering part of a merciful heart. How many of you guys have seen Avengers Endgame yet? Dan doesn't want to answer. I know he already said yes. What is, what is the line that Captain America and Iron Man say to each other? What do they say? Pressure. Dan, you're letting me down. No, it's okay. Dan is not letting me down. I didn't tell him I was going to do that. Now, they say, they say that we're going to do this, whatever it takes. That's a, that's a key line they keep saying to each other, whatever it takes. That's what an unwavering heart is. Showing mercy, whatever it takes. All of Scripture points towards a merciful heart doing everything for the sake of your enemy, to the point of laying down your own life. It's a hard thought. But that's what Jesus did. The Bible says that we were once the enemy of God. We were in opposition to him, directly opposed, before he redeemed us with his grace and his mercy. Jesus was unwavering. He said at any point he could have called down the angels from heaven to stop his crucifixion. But his love for those who hurt him was unwavering. We have to be able to show that same unwavering grace and mercy if we want to have a merciful heart. We were just singing about how I can see you now, I can see the love in your eyes. Do you think the centurions who were nailing Jesus to the cross saw that love? It was there the people who whipped him, his mercy and his love was unwavering. As they beat him, his love poured out. And if we want to be the same, we have to take that same attitude. It's not an easy one, but it's unwavering. It's easy to love someone who loves you. It's harder to love someone who hates you. But that's the point. God's love isn't specific for those who love him only. God's love is unwavering. His mercy is unchanging. It's resolved. It's firm. It's not going anywhere. God doesn't return evil with evil, but he sets evil right. We want to show that we want to follow him, but sometimes we shirk away from that responsibility and just show mercy where it's easiest for people who do the little things to us instead of people who have horribly wronged us. We want to hold on to that bitterness and that grudge. But when we have a merciful heart in the likeness of God, we are overwhelmed by his love for all creation. All creation. 
That means the person who hates you or the neighbor who calls the police on you because you're having a party too loud or whatever it is. Love and mercy. As we close today, I want to offer a couple thoughts. A merciful heart is just a heart in the likeness of God, like we said. A merciful heart ignores justice for compassion, even when we have the right that we choose the option to forgive. That when we have a merciful heart, our very essence is emptied out of us and filled instead with him. God is faithful. He's unwavering. His mercy never changing. He says in 2 Timothy, he can't deny himself. Even when we are unfaithful, he remains. I want a merciful heart. Do you?